Cautiously Optimistic. What up? Cautiously Optimistic, my favorite podcast of all time. As always, I'm Sully Angles. I'm Jesse Brummel. And I'm Nick Osteler. It's episode 42. And so we all know whose episode this is. Lucius Allen, former Laker great. Obviously, love <laughs> obviously uh, has to be Lucius. Some people wanted the James Worthy episode. <laughs> yeah, still no. Right. You know. I'm going to go with the Jackie Robinson episode, though. I guess that's a pretty good choice, too. Honest. Yeah, I mean, from Pasadena. I guess that's a know. pretty good choice for LA. Yeah, probably. I like that yeah. one better. Yeah. Lucius Allen is, is up there. Lucius is probably a close two with, with Worthy, Worthy as three. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, okay. I think it's probably well, pretty just to safe. Point. Yeah, of course, Jackie Robinson. Yeah. Got a statue in front of the Rose Bowl last week just to continue his time running tradition. I think I was telling these guys last week, little known fact about Jackie, in the Rose Bowl Stadium itself for any football game that's ever been played there, Jackie holds the record for the longest kickoff return in a game. Thought to be 104 yards when he was playing for a PCC. I want to say the game was against Caltech too, so it's an all Pasadena thing there, but Jackie Robinson. Near high school in Pasadena, the near, near Mustangs where it all started for Jackie, right, mm-hmm. here in our, uh, right here in our hood. So episode 42... We're excited. Yeah, and so, you know, Jackie obviously went to UCLA, so we're going to start off the show today with another UCLA legend, someone that Jesse probably doesn't have the same feeling about, and that, of course, is Bill Walton, the great. Uh, mm-hmm. if, if you were on Twitter last night, uh, which may be two nights ago when this episode comes out, uh, it, he was trending for all the right reasons. Just a, an absolute, you know, display of broadcasting greatness, I think is the way to say it. So today, just to start the episode, just I wanted to play and read a few things for you, uh, and then get your just initial reaction from the game he called last. Night. And this is also just so you guys know, I've not heard he has, anything. Yeah, he not, I was busy just, throughout the whole game. I didn't hear or see anything from what this is. So I so, literally have no clue what's about to happen. But I mean, I have a clue because it's Bill Walton. We'll start. But we'll start with this video. Are you ready for this, Jess? Yeah. Miles Bridges, who is not, I'm told, related to Lloyd or Bo. Or Bill, the Bridge School, the Bridge Benefit Concert, the St. John's Bridge, or the Golden Gate Bridge. There's a foul inside, and it's on Michigan State and Tillman. I love bridges. It's really the ultimate tool because it allows you to get someplace you can't get on your own. There's a lot of bridges here in Portland as well. 12 between the Willamette Falls and the St. John's Bridge on the north, including the Tillicum Bridge, which is the largest, longest non-car bridge in America. And you rode across it this week, didn't you, Bill? I rode a bike across it. First of all, okay, he just wanted to make clear that Miles Bridges was not related to a, a physical bridge. Let's just, okay, come on, guy. How does he know how many bridges there are in Portland? Bill Walton are, are, is, is that just him or is the stat guy that good? Like that's in, I will say that's just incredible and not for like a good reason. That's just why. Then who would know besides Bill? <clears throat> what I will say this is Bill Walton is um, for I, I hate him in close games. That's a 20 point game. So that's not the worst thing in the world. I, I'll give him that. Because in those kind of games, you need somebody, like, that's what Van Gundy's great at, too. And, and we know how I feel about most of Van Gundy's yes, games. Yes, um, But in, in blowouts, they're better because they will keep you entertained just by, like, just thinking, what are they doing? Like, that's just yeah. incredible. And I also like, enjoy, at the end of their day of patch, when he's kind of like, and you rode a bike across yeah. the there, didn't you, Bill? Kind of <laughs> and, almost like, you know, on, you're yeah. talking to a Hall of Famer, but I'm, I've been doing this long enough, I know what I'm getting myself into. And by the time this episode drops... Uh, the game would probably still be recent enough where I would encourage everyone listening to go onto Twitter and just search Bill Walton and see oh, the yeah. reaction. The Twitter about this is great. And Dave Pash, by the way, is a saint. Yeah, and let me, and I got one other thing here for you just to continue it. This okay. is another, you know, basically a transcription of five minutes from this Arizona Texas A&M game. In those five minutes, Bill Walton compared himself to Solar Energy, gushed about a Fleetwood Mac concert. Of course. And then showed off a picture of Dave Pash's grandchildren that Dave didn't know he had. <laughs> what are your thoughts on that? Of course, I mean, well, uh, there's no Bill Walton broadcast complete without talking about one of those bands, whether it's like Fleetwood or Grateful, Grateful Dead. Dead. Like, it, like that, that's going to come up in every Bill Walton 100%. broadcast. The fact that he's getting pictures of Dave Pash's grandkids is pretty incredible. Like, how, how are you doing? Like, <laughs> it's magnificent. 
and I'm like, like, oh god, I'm so glad this happened because I know on our last podcast when we were talking to Arash Markazi, please go listen to that episode, episode 41. On our itinerary, we had a potential discussion about Bill Walton because he was in China with Arash. We didn't get to it, so I'm glad Jesse was able to respond today to one of his favorite broadcasters, yeah. Bill, Bill like, Walton. Bill, I, I, I can't stand him in close because he he calls the game the same way, whether it's a one point game or a 20 point game, and it's like, look. This is an exciting game. I don't want to hear about the Grateful Dead right now. And Jesse's feeling about Bill Walton is in no way related to the fact that he went to UCLA. Absolutely not at all. Right? <laughs> I, I just don't, you know, I feel like Jesse would have such an appreciation. And that just nails it right there, Nick. Is that if he had, like, say, been a Trojan alum, Jesse would be so on board <laughs> with Bill Walton. You know, like, it would be unquestioned. That would be the hill that Jesse would be ready to die on, I, in my mind. I mean, it didn't happen, so I can't, I can't comment on that. Okay. Well, you know... It, Bill is a treasure, um, uh. and the next treasure coming over to the MLB, something that's been highly, highly discussed this week, Shohei Otani's new, uh, I guess, I don't want to call them contract negotiations, but decision on where to go and spend his next few years. You know, he's come to America, it's been confirmed, um, told the Yankees that he did not want to play with them, and the Yankees fans were very upset about yeah, that. Yeah, that was funny. Calling him soft, calling him all sorts of things, but who cares about them, because in the end, it's coming down to Seattle, L.A., both teams in L.A., the Giants, the Cubs, and apparently the Padres are in the running still, too. I'm going to you know, leave that up for debate. What do you guys think about the situation, and do you want him to be a Dodger? Well, West Coast, best Coast, it looks like. I was very surprised to see that the Yankees and Red Sox, two of the big market teams on the East Coast, who usually get a lot of free agents, were out of the running so early in this in the sweepstakes. Love it. Um, Seattle obviously makes sense because they've had a history with Ichiro, getting you know highly talented players from Japan to come over, and you know the Giants are always going to be in on this if they're on the West Coast. You know they have connections to Japan too. But in terms of him coming to the Dodgers, you know I'm not too. Uh, excited if it happens. Like, I, I don't need the Dodgers to get Shohei Otani. And let me explain. Go on. So, yes, he's a highly touted player from Japan, two way player, interesting player. But honestly, out of all the players who have come over from Japan, has there any, has there ever really been a true superstar difference maker besides maybe Ichiro or, I'm talking about superstar, like difference maker type player? I'm just waiting to crush you right now, Nick. Just waiting to crush you. I'm not even going to say anything yet. 1995, Hideo Nomo, NL Rookie of the Year, okay. NL Strikeout Leader, All-Star, okay. public figure and star in Los Angeles, okay. first player to come over from Japan. Okay, yeah. Also, Made a huge difference on a bad Dodger team, but that's the answer to your question. I get that. He, okay, he was a good player. Is, he, is he's in the Hall of Fame? I don't know. But um, let, me, let me just explain. Is that what we expect him? I didn't know we needed only Hall of Fame. Okay. Yeah. First of all, Otani wants Hideki to Hideki Matsui, part of the Yankees World Series runs through the late good 2000s. player, solid player. Okay, Matsui and Noma. Matsui and Noma. They're one-way the the, one players. The reliever from Boston that went to Boston. Um, yeah, there's... Well, there's multiple, but you're... He had a good two players. years. Let me just... Let me just... Hear me out for a Go second. On. I'm not going to deny... Koji Yurihara. Yeah. Go sure. Yeah. Oh, he was light out for like two, three years. Solid pitcher. Okay, but let me let me explain. Matsui, great hitter in his own right, not denying that. Nomo, great pitcher. Otani is this guy who wants to be a two-way player. He wants a team that will give him a chance to become a two-way player. The Dodgers are already an 104-win team who don't really need an extra outfielder or whoever they need. You know, Maybe they can use that on the mound, but if he really wants to be a two-way player, they're going to have to cater to him more than the Dodgers should. I don't think the Dodgers need to cater to this guy. They already have a solid team. If they're going to bend over backwards to please just one guy, it's not going against the whole concept of the Dodgers' team mentality. I personally don't need the Dodgers to get him. I wouldn't be upset, upset if they do, but I'm not clamoring for it. Uh, that's just my opinion. I don't think that he they would bend over backwards just to please him. I think that they know that the team is more important than one guy. And if that's where he wants to come to, that's where he wants to come to. If he wants to come to a winning team... I know there's the report saying he doesn't. He might not want to. And he, that's the yeah. whole Padres mentality. The small where, market. Yeah, whatever. Want to go is. be the star on on one team and, and lead them back. But I don't know. I don't. I don't think if that's an issue, I don't think the Dodgers are gonna like bend over backwards to please him. And if that's an issue, then he's just not gonna sign here. I think that's that's just my thought yeah, process on that. Specific I think thing. I think you. That's <clears> fine. Because that's a very fair point that you don't want to bend over backwards for a team that just was the best team in baseball during the regular season. Um, the one thing is that this is not any guy, and this is going back to your initial point about players that have come over. This is not like anything we've seen before. Um, first off, he's coming over at a younger age than any other player has ever have, and, and that's because they rewrote the rules essentially for this guy to be able to be available earlier. 
coming over at 23, which is basically like the prime age for a prospect coming into the MLB. On top of that, you look at his projectability as a pitcher and a hitter. As a pitcher, this guy is being compared to Justin Verlander. He's thrown the hardest pitch ever in the Japanese baseball league at 102 miles an hour. Has wipeout sliders and cutters. It's disgusting. I, I suggest you watch it. I wrote an entire article about this for Dodgers Way. Included a ton of videos um, of him throwing. Um, and then on the hitting side, you know, I think the easiest comparison um, that I saw this week from an article by Eno Saris was to Sean Green, who was a pretty great player in his own right and a Dodger. So you think about that, even if you don't think that we need him, I think you may be wrong, because you remember the end, the end of last year, constant debates about who was going to play left field, who should play there. And maybe it was because we had so much talent, but at the same time, having one guy that can be at least filled in two days a week would be fantastic. And on top of that, adding in a front-of-the-line starter and a potential Hall of Fame pitcher, you know, that's the how good he can be. And, and obviously, that's just potential. There's been tons of guys drafted first overall mm-hmm. who have not come close to that. But that's what we're talking about here. And to add to that, I, I know this is kind of long-winded at this point, but... Those prospects, too, were 18 and 19 years old. This is a guy who pitched in the Japanese. Basically, they have a tournament that's like March Madness, and he won. He was the MVP. He's thrown and been the number one starter for Japanese national team since he was like 12 years old, from like the 12 under, 14 under. He's done that his entire life. Pitched in the biggest games in Japan. This is all before he turned 23. And you're going to tell me that that doesn't show you that he's ready to go and could be a bigger difference maker than other prospects than will be. I don't know what else can. The Dodgers may not get him, may not be the best fit, but to think that we don't need him and he wouldn't hurt, help the team in some sense is crazy. I think. Those are all very valid points. I don't disagree with your points. And all I'm saying is we, we, he's, an un, he's, an, he's a known commodity in Japan, which is, is a good baseball league. I'm not, I'm not discounting that. Second best in the league. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a good baseball league. I'm not saying that it's like, oh, he's playing against weak competition because he's not. But at the same time, you know, we've, you've, you've, you've mentioned a lot of players who have come over who have found success, but you've we haven't mentioned the hundreds of others who have not found success. And I'm not saying that Otani is going to be a bust, but I'm just saying it's it's a risk that the Dodgers would take. Do the Dodgers need to take a risk right now? That's my question. How is it a risk, though? We would pay him $300,000 in signing bonus. I mean, it's just like to to come into the team, and I guess it's not a risk financially, but why why do we need him? Like risk we have, we have Andrew he Tolles. Andrew yeah, Tolles it's, is, it's wild to me. And I love Tolles, too, at that point. You know, I, I'm, I think Tolles is going to come back and be good. But at the same time, um, being that they're both left-handed is probably the one thing that kind of counters that because there would be a way to platoon them if you did Otani. Basically, how it worked for him in Japan, um, the last couple of years, he would DH two days and then he would take the day before his start, or two days before his start to get ready, and then he would DH the next two days after that, basically a continuous rotation. But in Japan also, they take Monday off traditionally, so there's more time in between games and starts for him. Um, so it is a little different, but at the same Otani time... Otani is a right-handed thrower, right? Yeah, he's a right-handed thrower, left-handed batter. Um, it's it's different, but at the same time, the Dodgers, we see them all last season using the like you know lengthy rotation, six or seven starters, and moving out of the 10 DL, and just essentially giving them six or seven days in between starts either way. So I don't see why that wouldn't benefit him as well. I guess what I'll close on is, like I said, I wouldn't be upset if the Dodgers get Otani... I would value him more as a pitcher, a right-handed arm of the rotation. Oh, absolutely, yeah. And so, everyone does. And he could be a right-handed arm of the rotation, a good hitting pitcher, you know, to have on the mm-hmm. Dodgers and, you know, as the, in the nine hole every five days. And I guess he could be a versatile addition if they want to use him in the outfield some days. I just don't think they should really, you know, limit other people's opportunities to get him into the outfield because he wants to play outfield, you know what I mean? If they, if they wanted if they wanted to sign I'd him, be, yeah, I mean he's got to perform, is what you're saying, yeah. and that's fine. I understand that too. But I think it's it's worth giving a 23 year old, you know, the Japanese Babe Ruth, and not just by you know legacy. He's earned that title, so we'll see. I mean, while we're on the subject, should we just talk about John Carlos Stanton a little bit? I mean, um, yeah, definitely. Yeah. I think uh, my initial thought is I hope he goes to the Giants, and that's because they're gonna have to eat that money. They're gonna get rid of the very few top prospects that they do have, and it's gonna ruin them for the next five years. And so it's like, alright, we gotta play nine, you know, nineteen games against Stanton. Um, you know my math is terrible, but it's maybe like seventy at bats, <laughs> eighty at bats. To think that, you know, it could alter the Dodgers season greatly, but I think that that team, being as good as they are now, will find a way to do that. They also throw usually pretty well against the other team's best players. I know Altuve and that whole Astros front certainly proved that differently, but that was kind of a, a special scenario, and that's the reason they're world champions. But yeah, I don't know. And also, if the Dodgers want to get him. I, mean, I, I kind of think of Stan the way you think about Tiger. It's like, we don't 
need him. Like, yeah, I would, I'd be on. We don't need to. We don't need to go and spend the money that you know. That I mean, obviously, we're not gonna eat this whole contract anyway. But it's like we don't. We don't need to go and give up the prospects. We don't need to go and trade for this guy. Like, we were in Game Seven of the World Series without him. We can find other spots to improve at, and little by little, to overcome that. Like, we don't need Stanton. Yeah. It's, it's very tempting, like he's such a, you know, glamorous, lavish looking piece to acquire, reigning NL MVP, hits these monster home runs, he's from LA and it seems to make sense, There's a, we need him in left field, it could work, but like you said, Jesse, I think we were in game seven, we don't need to go the route, as I mentioned earlier about kind of how the Warriors got Durant after losing game seven in the finals two years ago. Dodgers, like I said, they have tools coming back, he can be a very solid player, he's not going to hit home runs like Stanton, but we don't need him to. Stanton, again, the financial commitment to him is just absurd. 10 yeah, years, it's, it's like crazy. 295 million left or something like that. I don't even know what it is, but. Yeah, I, um, I think you guys are both right on that. It's, it's more of a, like, yeah, we just don't. Like, it'd be great, you know. If we, if we can get him for yeah, a nothing. deal. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right? Like, we'll yeah. take him, I guess. And if but they're like, gonna eat that money. We don't need to go give up yeah. our guys yeah. that we no. think are gonna be the future. Yeah, you it's you know, you end up giving up two or three of our top five prospects and it's just not worth it. It'd just be a bummer to have to be to have to see Stanton as a rival on the Giants because yeah. it would be a tough it would be tough to face that guy. I mean you only said what, seventy at bats a year, but still yeah. that's no, yeah, that's yeah, like I'm a scary not, probably yeah, closer to like yeah, yeah, that's like a scary proposition, or whatever it may be. Anytime you have to but face yeah, that guy. There's no discounting that. And the other thing I think that would benefit us if he went uh, didn't come to LA is like you know we love crushing Kevin Durant for the fact that he you know oh, pop ship and went and won a title that way. If we traded for Stanton and then won a World Series, we get crushed in that same. The only I've been thinking about that too. The only <laughs> difference is that like. It's different because it's free agency and this is a trade. Yeah. And but he still has he has to approve the trade. It's like yeah. very controlled in that sense. But I so that, that means, <laughs> I almost don't even want him. For that's that. that's what I mean. Yeah. Like I'm fine <clears throat> living where the life I am right now and being able to you know talk trash. On Kevin Durant, who you know, if he wants to fight Boogie Cousins, <laughs> please would love to see it. Yeah, love to see the toughness there. He's so, the most fake tough guy in the league. Also, why don't we start basketball off with that then? What, yeah, if you guys have any comments on on that situation, I'm sure you guys have all seen this last night or a couple nights ago now. Um, Boogie Cousins, Kevin Durant getting a little confrontation. You know, Kevin Durant, while Boogie's almost walking off the court, is screaming at him, and Boogie's looking at him like, "Do something." Yeah, <laughs> do Boogie, something. Boogie you knows know? he doesn't want those problems. Let KD come. He's he's a fake tough guy. And, and even more so after the game in the locker room, Kevin Durant's doing some some talking with the media, and <laughs> Cousins yeah. walks right behind the scuffle right there and just looks at him, shakes his head, and keeps walking. <laughs> it's like, bro, that was unbelievable to me. And, th- and there's just no way to defend that. That whole Warriors team seems to be pretty agitated with how they're playing and how they perceive the refs to be calling the game because what is it now? Three guys thrown out in the last three games. Two of them the, Sean, the Sean Livingston headbutt with the ref. Draymond is going to Draymond. Yeah, that's not going to change. Well, he's a mess. Exactly. And we'll get to that later <laughs> in the season, I'm sure. Um, but yeah, Kevin Durant yeah. has his third ejection of the season already. And, and what have been like, like 20 games. Of the year. Yeah. Um, it's wild. Know. Yeah, they almost, almost lost to the Lakers, which that was a fun game to watch, even though the Lakers lost. Uh, and the Lakers are now in the midst of a five-game losing streak, but that game against the Warriors took them to overtime. As we talked about on Twitter that night, uh, Brandon Ingram doesn't get the call there at the end, doesn't box out Draymond. Lots of little things that happen there to a young team that maybe if they have a little more maturity down the road, they win that game. Yeah, It was an encouraging sign that, of course, you know they go to Denver a few nights later, and that was very discouraging, getting outscored 19-2 to lose the game in the fourth quarter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I don't know, five-game losing streak. They're going on the road now for four in a row, and I think seven of eight. It's not looking too good right now. Um, the way they close games, personally, is something that bo- is bothering me. Uh, especially in that Denver game, they're playing so free throughout the game, and then when it gets down to the crunch time, fourth quarter, it just looks like the flow stops. Everyone doesn't really know what to do. Should he take the shot? Should I take the shot? And, Give it to Brandon Ingram, let him do it, but maybe he's not ready yet. I don't know. And can I ask that, just going to your point there, because that's what I want to talk about too, ending those games. I think a lot of people's issues this week was the selection of the five guys on the court and Luke Walton's choices there. Um, and I just want to preface that by saying, when I read and did a little more research on it, uh, the, the thought I came that came to my mind was just that, you know, he's got to prepare for the future of this team. They're not really playing for the season, so, you know, like, for example, the game where Clarkson was playing very, very well all game, then he sat in the fourth and Lonzo stayed in and they lost. People were very upset about that. Same time, Jordan Clarkson may not be a part of this team in two years and Lonzo is going to be for the foreseeable future, so you, you kind of got to play to that hand, right? 
I mean, what do you guys think about that? Well, that's something that, and I I wanted to bring this up too, that LeVar went on SiriusXM, did an interview, and he touched on the closing of the games and Lonzo's playing time. He said, uh, why are they sitting him down? Here's the thing, let me ask you this. Why would, would you say someone is the face of your franchise and then don't start him in the fourth quarter? If you say, this guy's my franchise player, and at the start of the fourth quarter, you tell me you're not going to start him. You know, and then he, he went on to say a lot of things in this, but yeah. um, that's kind of touching on right there. He also went on to say, we've been trying it their way, and that's why the record is raggedy. So let's try it our way now and watch us be successful. This is the kind of stuff that I don't, I mean, this is a, a whole other topic that I, I'm yeah, talking about and now. And we'll get to it in a second. LeVar but. talking all this trash, and specifically about Luke Walton, like indirectly, yeah. but directly, um, is ridiculous. But we can talk about that later. But I don't know. I, I think that. I like what Luke does where he says this this situation, these yeah. five, they're working. Yeah. Let's say like when Corey Brewer plays the whole fourth instead of Lonzo. The, the and crit- we win. Like yeah. the criticism of Luke to me is just ridiculous because people, And it's only coming from people, LeVar. Well, I've heard it from other yeah, people. I've heard it from other people too. It's like it's, people are so in like they just don't understand the situation here. The Lakers are the youngest team in the league. They obviously are in a rebuilding mode. A rebuilding mode that had to be expanded because of the contract they gave Kobe. We've talked about this a lot. Mm. Luke was thrown into the situation, a new regime, magic on you know, magic Rob with Luke. It's just the beginning, and there's obviously promise for this team. We've seen what Brandon Ingram has been able to show. Lonzo is the youngest ever to get triple double. There's always gonna be growing pains, but just to criticize Luke for decisions he's making with the youngest team in the league, playing in one of the toughest Western conferences in recent memory is just ridiculous in my opinion. Laker fans need to have more patience, and yes, I guess patience in LA is a tough thing. We haven't won since twenty ten, whatever. I don't care. It's like this is the situation. I think Luke's doing a fine job trying to see what he has here, what he wants to go forward with, and just let it let it happen. Let him coach. He's a young coach learning this team. Yeah, it's a hard job, and he's learning too. You know, it's 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 only his first few years of being a head coach. His first time doing that job, um, and it was a relatively quick process for him going from his playing career to being an assistant with the Warriors and all that. Um, it. It seems like he's getting a lot of unfair criticism, like you said. Like, I think that just that nails it right there. And, you know, maybe a lot of it is just from, you know, Twitter heads and, and people who, who don't really understand the gravity of the situation. But it's, I think he's doing a great job. And, and the biggest point to it, I think, is when you listen to what the players say about Luke, they love him. There's no ever, ever a bad review. It's always a player's guy. It's always sticks up for us. And I think the thing that we are so lucky, which so many teams do not have, is that he is so young that he can relate to the players better. He's been through the situations. You know, he's been a top draft pick and not have the success that people expected him to have right away and had to deal with that, you know? And, and that obviously makes you a stronger person. And I'm not saying that that's going to happen to Ingram or Alonzo, any of these guys, but on the negative days, he certainly has had every different type of negative day that you could have in the NBA, you know, getting trashed, having a big contract and people saying you're not going to live up to it. So if there's anyone that can work with and explain the like NBA life of someone who has to face criticism every day it's Luke Walton I think so yeah I mean I love Luke I love what he's been doing I think he's doing the right things for an early team and um that's why I hate what LeVar is doing on so many other levels and this is I mean I yeah. said it when Lonzo got drafted let's just, let's just get to LeVar since well, you're I, about it yeah I mean I have more quotes for you go ahead please yeah interview. let's talk about it I mean, let's talk about the week he's had and, and what a week it was he said this is still on the, on Luke said when you put these guys out there and let him play his style of game about Lonzo I had to force this issue on the high school and when they finally got the picture they went 35-0 and 0. I had to force the same issue on UCLA everybody should listen that's on the Lakers this whole Lakers thing should listen. Build it around Lonzo. You're going to be successful, but that sounds too bold. Then he said, this team is losing, but it's an easy fixable thing. I know how to fix this thing. Everybody on the outside is looking like, oh no, the father's telling him what to do. No, I've been coaching him his whole life and he's been successful. Why? Because the system that I put around him. Yeah, and it's wild. And we're, we're going to touch on this point a little more, but he just sounds like Trump in a certain sense, you know? Like, he keeps talking about, I know how to do this, I know how to fix that, without providing any real like solution, you know? When it's does ridiculous. he ever say, like, this is the problem? This is what they should fix? Yeah, you know, LeVar, for as much as I want to enjoy him, more and more recently, it's become harder to do so, you know? And it's like, he has given, given the platform to say so much and says so little in that time. Uh, it's astounding. Um... And that kind of goes to what the Lakers have done with the whole 
media thing, but I mean, as Arash pointed out as yeah, well, this has been for the whole season, yeah, although this has just come out. And it's a it's a bigger thing too. I mean, you know, they are trying to swing it obviously as, as more so than just Lavar. Yeah. And, and saying that it's every family member, and that is true. You know, it's not just like the ball of family members you can't talk to or yeah. that situation. So but that's obviously the reason behind it. It's because of Lavar because you know they've managed to function as a franchise for the last eighty years without this issue. And then the first year comes in the league, they change the rules. So, and people were telling at the beginning of the season when 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 Lonzo got drafted, even that, oh, now he's with the Lakers. Lavar can't actually make any difference. Yeah, Lavar can't. Lavar can't. But at, at the be same, a noise even just because he's on the Lakers. Like this is obviously just like not true. He's obviously being way louder, and that's not just Lavar. That's people giving him that microphone. Like that, you and said, that, that's what I want to say. And that's yeah. a big problem. And that's that's, and that's something they needed to stop doing. Like, is that we know that Lavar's going to talk either way. But it's whether or not people put the microphone in front of them and tweet out what he's going to say and keep giving them these opportunities. That's when it becomes an issue. And that's not much... There's not much you can do with the Lakers in that sense besides make rules like this and try and limit the amount that he can be talked to uh, in the stadium, at least. You know, when you have the control, you got to handle that. It's, it's, almost, like, it's yeah. almost like the media has played this game with LeVar where it's like, we want more LeVar, we want more ratings, we want more LeVar, oop, until we don't want... No anymore Lavar, mm-hmm. you know, and they're at, they're at that crossroads now where it's like, they've given him this platform, like you guys said, they've given him the mic, CNN gives him the mic, the, the ESPN brings him on the court to talk to Stephen A. Smith after Alonzo's first game, like, but, yeah. which also, by the way, can't happen anymore based on this new Lavar rule, Yeah, and it's just crazy, because it gets to this point now where it's gotten so outlandish where Trump is involved, and now people are realizing, okay, now it's time to ran this in and it's, it's too late you know yeah. he's like the cat's out of the bag this is LeVar you gave him this platform yeah exactly um, now he's sending Zotu to the White House sending Zotu to the White House pulling Jella out of UCLA now after the whole shoplifting situation yeah. and, and also exploring uh, further options with LaMelo was the headline which really yeah. just thinks means going overseas just because we're going on quotes here Jesse <laughs> had a lot of great quotes that he brought into the table uh, here's one uh, from LeVar talking about Jello saying I'm going to I'm going to make him better way better for the draft than UCLA ever could have and it's just you know, yeah. Um, he, he he can go off the off the fact that yeah, his old eldest son Lonzo got to the NBA based I guess on his tutelage, but you know so far the two younger brothers are not following the same path, which was the supposed big baller way, and they're kind of veering off the path for whatever reason. Because they're not good enough. Not well, good okay, enough first or, or shoplifting. I think yeah. th- that's more LiAngelo than is Lamelo. Lamelo is still a top ten player for his class in high school, despite despite not playing a single game this season or ever again possibly in high school. He's still, you know, in the you know in the U.S. to be a top ten high school player for your class, you have to be pretty damn good. So for him, his future, whatever it may be at this point, because he's you know selling shoes, probably won't be eligible to play in the NCAA. Probably going to go play overseas in it for a year. For for you know, LiAngelo, I, I feel worse because. You know, and we've talked about this. Like, he can definitely go play at another Pac-12 school. You know, he can go to Washington State. He can do whatever he likes. But at this point, with his father talking this much and and, and they have all the bags he's bringing with him, that's just not going to happen. You yeah, know, like who wants to draft Leandro uh, Ball right now? Oh, know? drafting it! I'm not even yeah, talking yeah. about it. that's yeah. a whole different story. Yeah, I think Levar knows that he's not going to be able to get to transfer anyway, so he's already taken that option out. He's getting ahead of that and saying, "Hey, I'm getting yeah. him ready for the draft." Or I mean, when he doesn't get drafted, he's going to say, well, he's going to go play overseas. Yeah, and you, you know, have, and he's just not, he's not even good. In, like, I don't even think LiAngelo at this point, I mean, we obviously haven't seen him play a college game, but seeing him in high school, it's like he, he wasn't a D1 guy. Like, like a, 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 a power five D1 guy to get time, he's not that dude. He's not that good. Well, it's tough to evaluate him, I feel like. You know, obviously I'm not a scout or anything, but when you're on a team that's literally built for you to shoot the entire time, and you make a lot of shots, it's going to look good. But working within a system, working with all things like that, LiAngelo probably would have the hardest time doing that. The know? one, the one tangible thing I've seen in terms of Lavar's way of teaching that might work, and of course, uh, Lamelo has to do the work, and mm-hmm. I guess LiAngelo can fit into this as well, but. I hate to bring it back up, but on Ball and the Family, they got a new big estate. They bought a big new estate with yeah. all Lonzo's money, and they're creating this state-of-the-art gym like in, within the estate. And it's like seems like a pretty good training facility, but of course, that you know they have to do the work there. So if if, if, if Lavar is gonna like be a trainer, they have the facility, I, I guess. I'm not. I'm not uh, <laughs> sighing at the fact that you're watching the show. I'm sighing at the fact that this is like the easiest way to lose all your money if you don't have it. Like, if you're <laughs> yeah. in the NBA, like, this happens all the time. People do stupid shit like this. And it sucks because it's your dad doing it with your money. And so you have really no control over it. You know what? He's nine, 20 years old. 
Um, you know, we better hope Lonzo is good good enough to stay in the league for and I, I ten think years. He will be. I, mean, I think he is too. Yeah, even if he's not a star, we gotta have. He's gotta he, be making that money because Lavar's gonna go player. spend it. Yeah, and actually, this is this is probably a good time to bring up that Whitlock thing too. Yeah, so apparently, to, and take take this how you will, but so apparently Whitlock, I just saw a tweet. Colin Coward retweeted the herd to Twitter, mm-hmm. who tweeted Whitlock on the herd. So I mean, I didn't see any of this or hear any of it. This is just where the source lies. Yeah. So there's a couple layers there, uh-huh. and then it's Whitlock. So you know, <laughs> take that with a grain of salt. He said that uh, Leangelo stole from the three places because his credit card was declined, and he was the only one of the players to steal from all three stores. I think it was YSL, uh, Gucci, and Louis Vuitton were the three stores that they stole from. But apparently, according to Jason Potato Head Whitlock, because, uh, I mean, if you look, his Decent Mero said it first, but, yeah. I mean, it looks like a potato head. Yeah. Look yeah, that's why head. it wears the fedora. Yeah, the fedora is <laughs> terrible. Um, so take that how you may. I don't really fully trust that, just because it was Whitlock. I'd add that Whitlock tweeted this out two hours ago as well. Uh, Leangelo Ball's credit card getting declined sparked China's shopping spree. Leangelo's only one of three players to steal from all three stores. President Trump's role is getting them home in eight days rather than 20, which saved them academically at UCLA. Which I don't... Yeah, I mean, I'll, and also the whole UCLA part of it is moot now because he's out of UCLA. And I don't know if you guys heard uh, Alfred's comments about the situation. He wasn't even aware that LeVar pulled yeah. Jello out. He's like, and then he, did, he didn't even seem that upset either. He's like, no, well, and, that's, I wish, and that's what I Ross said well. yesterday. Yeah. So when he talked to his source close to UCLA basketball, that they were honestly happy and that they loved Lonzo being there and they wanted the whole ball situation to work out. But it's just gotten to a point, and it's not even. You know, at this point, really, the stealing—it's—it's it's Lavar's comments that have taken. Yeah. You know, there's been tons of athletes. You know, Cam Newton stole a computer and was a Heisman Trophy winner. You know, there's there's so many examples of, you know, young kids making bad decisions, which hasn't affected their future, and this is a situation where that's not going to. And I don't, I don't blame you. I don't blame UCLA for feeling this way because obviously, when Lonzo was playing for the team, Lavar had nowhere near the platform he does now. And so he wasn't even an issue to deal with. I mean, he was the dad who would go to the game and say outlandish things sometimes, but now for what Lamar is and what Leandro has done and what this whole thing has become, I completely understand UCLA just being like, all right, good riddance, see you later, like, have a good life, you know? Yeah, exactly. This is, this is an AAU dad that got a platform. Yeah, like, it's wild. This is, this is like, you see guys like this, but I'm mean, not ex- necessarily the extent that Lavar is, but like, I mean, he was at our gym at Chino Hills in a tournament, like just like they're yelling, like yelling from the stands, telling the players what to do while there's a coach coaching. Yeah. Like this is just an AAU dad with a crazy yeah. platform and it's blowing up and he's. Uh, I'll give you this, Jesse. You've been on it from the start about not being able to control this. I think that you were the, the one of the three that thought <laughs> that. And I don't think this, the story's over, but certainly at this point, your choice of how it was going to go is going uh, probably more correctly than ours is. One of my favorite times of the year, wrapping up both ends of the football season. Uh, we are officially in playoff time for college football. We're going to get to NFL in a bit, but college football, uh, we have our playoff, you know? So, I mean, there's been a lot of talk. I think the first three seeds, kind of uh, undebatable, but that fourth seed getting a little wild. So you got, yeah. you're obviously your Clemson, Oklahoma, um, your Alabama. Oh, Georgia, and then... Alabama slides in at four instead of Ohio State, which was the big discussion after Ohio State took down the Wisconsin team that should have never been there in the first place. They just played on a weak side of the conference. Um, and I missed the Big Ten conference when they were determined by leaders and legends. Leaders and legends. That was big the best. Ten. That was a one year. It was gone for one year. <laughs> it was my favorite. But yeah, um, that was tough. So. Do you guys? First of all, I just want to ask: Do you guys agree that Bama should be in over Ohio State? No. Um, I guess the easiest. I mean, or maybe even not Ohio State. Maybe whoever someone else. Just be more teams. I think that's the hardest issue with me. I mean, like it's tough because, like you know, you're about to put um, an an Alabama team in that realistically has, like you know, they didn't lose or didn't, you know, they haven't had a a big loss ever. I don't think Saban's lost a game at at, 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 by more than fourteen points. So that certainly says something, because Ohio State's loss to Iowa is. Looks really, really bad in that sense, um, and you know it almost is like in my gut to be like, why don't you just put UCF in? You know they went twelve and ran the yep. table. They haven't lost a game. They had a great tweet like, dang, Bama beat us out. 
Yeah. It's, I don't know. I'm so torn on this. It, it just really all comes down to me is, is the need for expansion, whether it be six or eight. I, know, I would get even crazier and go 16 when I or 18 when I say it, whatever it is. But uh, can't do 16. <laughs> no, I, know. <laughs> I, I know we can't. Um, but it, it's tough, man, and it's tough to see Alabama get in again. I mean, both Ohio State and Alabama fans are going to complain no matter how it went. So it's it's to me is looking more so like the BCS and the committee aren't too different at this point. And I, I agree with, like, that was one of the things that I've been thinking about is, like, <clears throat> I think there's three teams this year that deserve to be in a playoff. Mm-hmm. So you're always going to have your your discussions, whether it's, you know, I mean, if you go three to six, I mean, four to six teams, then your Miami or your Wisconsin would still, like, those, those kind of teams are still going to have their argument. <clears throat> so you're always going to have your, I mean, you go six to eight even. Your nine and your ten teams are still like, well, we should be in. There's always going to be that argument of we should be in the playoff or yeah. we should be in the national title game when it was the BCS. So it's interesting to think about. I think in a year like this, there's way more teams that are almost good enough and only three that are good enough. I think the three are Georgia, Clemson, and Oklahoma are the only three that are really good enough to be in a playoff. Yeah. But then in a BCS... That leaves out then who Georgia is at three. Well, so there's always going to be someone that gets left out, and that's the tough part. That's true. I mean, I wouldn't be opposed to expansion either, but for this instance, you know, do I think that Alabama should have made it over Ohio State? I do. I think Alabama only had one loss. Ohio State had two, and that should count for something. One really bad one. Yeah, that, yeah, it was. But Alabama I agree. lost to Auburn. And actually, Auburn has Alabama's number over the past several years with Nick Saban coaching when they're both ranked teams. Um, so, I mean, Alabama played a tougher schedule. You know, I was disappointed because I had Wisconsin. I wanted Wisconsin to make it in there. They were in there for a faint glimmer of hope, and then they had to play Ohio State and lost fair and square to Ohio State. Wisconsin's not good. Right, not, not that, that good. That's what I'm saying. It's, it's that's amazing to me that that state continuously cannot find one person to play quarterback. Yeah. That's all the team needs every year, and they can't find a player. But I, and I, I do think that factors into why Alabama made it over Ohio State because Ohio State gets a win over a Wisconsin team that you guys and probably everyone should feel maybe doesn't deserve to be that four spot. Mm-hmm. Ohio State beats a weaker quote-unquote team. Uh, and This all know, goes back to the point that I know Jesse's made before is that you end up penalizing teams for playing in their conference championship games, which is just a joke. Mm-hmm. Because if you go to that game and you lose, that shouldn't affect your standing because another team didn't make it and didn't have to play that week, which is essentially what yeah. happened again, right? And it's interesting going into like they're not even valuing conference championships, um, and I'm not trying to make the argument yeah. that USC should have been in the playoff this year because they shouldn't have. But what I'm, the thing is, what I, I mean, and this is but a, I would even rather have them in because they're a conference champion. You know, I think they were. I think they deserved it over Bama, and I think they deserved oh. it over an Ohio Wisconsin, State. Over but Wisconsin we're gonna too. You mean, over Wisconsin. One more but, bad loss, but we're played. gonna go see USC Ohio State anyway. We can talk about that. Yeah, we'll but, get but one that thing I think we can all agree on is rest in peace to the turnover chain. Uh, Wonderful artifact yeah. that will forever live on in yep. the lore of the season. Yeah, and I'm gonna just this will be a, it's not even a hot take. I just know this is gonna happen. College baseball teams will definitely have chains this season. <laughs> Mark it down. Like it's it'll be a factor. It'll be a thing. Okay. Because I've already seen rumblings on Twitter. Despite that, you know, the football chain is dead. And then basketball, there's not really any room for that. You know, the breaks are too short. Baseball, it's perfect. Hit a bomb, get a chain. You know, make a big play on defense, get a chain. However you want to set it up for yeah, your team, I get that. It's coming soon. But but back to college football, even the playoffs, they are what they are. One but of the look, things that I also wanted to bring up was, and this is another thing, like in this whole SC debate. I mean, no one ever, no one in SC Twitter or anything really thought that SC would make a playoff, and I don't think they deserve to um, with the two losses they had, especially the bad one to Notre Dame. But they they get penalized for playing teams at a conference. You know, it's like. We play Notre Dame every year, and I don't want to ever stop playing Notre Dame. No. That's our our second biggest rival. But we get penalized that because if we play Mercer instead of Notre Dame, we got one loss. We're in the playoff. You know what I'm saying? Like, these SEC teams are scheduling fluffs in November. Like, that's ridiculous. Well, uh, I mean, and I don't, I, I don't, the most part I don't want to hear the strength of schedule trash because the oh, SEC is way overrated. I was just so I don't want to, yeah, I don't want to hear that. I'm not saying you're going to. That, but. that Alabama and Florida State played to start the year, and that was a big game. And that, that is a big game, but and, then the next and, and then it turns out that it's not. Yeah, well, no, I think that because they injured their starting exactly. quarterback. Exactly, exactly. I agree. Their front squad doesn't go down. You know, it's 100%. Like Florida State could have played that ACC championship game. Um, but yeah, USC, Ohio State, not in the Rose Bowl, even though it is the traditional Pac-12 Big Ten are, matchup. Are they playing for all the Tostitos? Uh, they are playing for all of the Cotton. Oh, I 
can't remember what yeah. switch. I yeah. know it's their new rotation in the playoffs. We like, were expecting to get Fiesta and then we got Kyle. Oh, that's what it is. Okay. The Kyle Bowl is nice. It'll um, be fun. It'll be fun. I'm excited. We're going to get to smack down Joe's team. You know, uh, and yeah, we will have Joe and Jonah back in the podcast at some point. I would say to discuss their football seasons as we did with the preview. Um, Jonah's got to be upset. Yeah, that's a whole other. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but SC Ohio State is a game that I've been. I, I mean, I want this game because I mean yeah. SC's playing really well, and Ohio State's out here talking that we should have been in the playoff. And I mean, I want to go ahead and give him that L. Yeah. Do you think? I don't know. I mean, I I think it's gonna be a tough game for SC. Oh, it's definitely gonna be a tough game. I, you know, I think it's either gonna be a close SC win or Ohio State blowout. I think that those. Are the two I, yeah, I don't. We haven't blown anybody out all year, so that doesn't like. I don't see us blowing out Ohio State. No, you know, yeah, but so I, I agree in that was sense. That the the outcome the last time we played Ohio State. Uh, SC won. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, that was a liner. Yeah, see, that's, that was a long time. Didn't they? They won the game big though. I'm saying too, didn't they? Uh, you. Yeah, I, I think so. Right. Yeah, I think. Either way, I mean, it's, it's but we're not that team anymore. No, it's a much different team. Um, but great for college football, I think. To have I think it's two, great. That, that is awesome. I agree. And just to imagine if that had been a you know a first round playoff matchup because both the teams are in the first eight. That That's what if it was in an eight team, it probably would have been a matchup. Or would have been playing like a, a, a Georgia. Technically, yeah, it would have been like SC is at eight right now, so they'd play Clemson if they set it up that way. Which I just want to say, I mean, it doesn't mean anything. USC being eight right now is absurd, and behind Auburn still. And Wisconsin, I think that's absurd. That's but they're, they're conference champions, you know. It's it's well. That's that's how it plays out now. And I would be remiss if I didn't mention Northwestern to close off uh, college football here. End of the season on a seven game winning streak. Got uh, unfortunately only the Music City Bowl against Kentucky and uh, mm. Skokats. You're playing an unranked team in a bowl game. What a year! So it's the, the Cats versus the Cats. It is. Oh, it is. So he just said, go Cats. I guess he's rooting for Kentucky on this one. You got me there. Wow, you got me there. I thought weird. that one through. Or he's just, you know, chiming in for Chico State. You never really know. <laughs> I always like to think so. Um. <laughs> and to touch on one last thing in college football that uh, I think is notable, um, there's a new coach in the Pac-12. Mm-hmm. Hold Rubino, Devil's Digest. Uh, Devil's what? Digest, huh? Yes, sir. Where you located, my man? <laughs> right here in Tempe. Okay, Devil's Digest. Okay. <laughs> Uh, I'm, a, I'm, I'm Catholic now. I'm a Christian. Watch out, them devils. <laughs> Just saying. Well, you're gonna see, We're good, brother. We're you can see devils all, all over the place. I ain't so. taking it personal. So Herm Edwards, ESPN Zone, uh, you play to win the game, Herm, is... I, new, just to talk just about the little, first rule a of getting a coaching job, know your mascot. Yeah, like... It's on signs right behind you. It's everywhere. Just know your mascot going into it. And know the nicknames for your mascot. Know everything about the program. Do a two-minute read on Wikipedia and you'll be okay. I think this this hire is so... It's not even baffling to me. I think it, I understand it from Arizona State's perspective where... I guess. I don't. I do I do in the sense where they are doing it for exposure. This is a... It's, it's a climate where you need recruiting. Herm's going to be able to get guys. See, I, that was the exact reason why I think this is a bad idea. I mean, there are many reasons why it's a bad idea, but that was my biggest concern. I was like, you look at Herm Edwards, you know, you listen to him talk, you see how he interacts with people. If I'm 17 years old and I have a plethora of coaches, for example, Nebraska's new coach. Looks like an awesome dude. He plays scout team quarterback for the team. Looks mm-hmm. like a ton of fun. You got the turnover chain in Miami. You got Harbaugh doing his thing. There's so many players coaches out here. Why am I going to go play for Herm Edwards at Arizona State? A guy who's just not doesn't seem too personable to me. Doesn't seem like you'd interact and connect with any kid that young. It just doesn't make sense to me from a recruiting standpoint. When the whole wave of college football is going towards, you know, trying to get the players into nice facilities and, and having the best uniforms and having everything at their hand and, and feeling comfortable, why would you take a step away from that? Yeah, and I'm not going to name any names, but we have a source within the Arizona State football uh, coaching staff who was on the staff of former coach Todd Graham, who was fired after going 7-5, including some wins over Washington and Utah on the road, which aren't aren't easy wins to acquire. Nope. And uh, this this source has told us that you know he doesn't feel like Herman Edwards is really the guy for the job. It feels like he's out of touch, and you know that was shown by this interview and not knowing the mascot. Um, you know, a lot of political stuff going on there with it rises up all the way to the athletic director. Don't want to go into too much detail about it, but uh, it just seems like, from what we've heard, that Herm Edwards might have been installed here as kind of like a puppet guy, uh, not really aware of the situation, and just, as you guys said, maybe more of a publicity stunt. Doesn't really, you know, 
Well, we all, well, we know Hermes is a good guy. I, feel like, yeah. I do think he's a, a not not a full puppet, but I think he's there as a face. And I don't know how he's going to be X's and O's. Um, I I think that recruiting comes down to way more than just the head coach. And while the head coach is a huge part of it, mm-hmm. um, the positional coaches are going to do such a wonder on these kids. And to be able to have a guy like Herm, they're going to be on national TV because of Herm. These guys are going to want to play on national TV. You don't get that opportunity in Arizona State before this. Like you know, there's like 10 p.m. on ESPN too. There's so many other benefits, and that's a whole Larry Scott issue as well. And I don't want to even yeah we'll discuss that, that piece of trash. Um, so like there's there's just I think he's gonna help in ways. Um, I don't know how quickly the effect is gonna happen, but I think he will help in certain ways. And there, like you said, I think there are some ways where he's gonna hurt the team. Mm-hmm. But yeah. um, I understand the hire. I think it's a it's a risk 100. Yeah. percent But it's a risk that Arizona State can afford to make because yeah, what else you got to lose? When is Arizona State been good? Last thing in college football within uh, someone leaving the Pac-12, uh, Willie Taggart from Oregon took the Florida State coaching job, which I, I don't know if anyone else can explain this to me, but that was really confusing to me. I don't understand how you go from being well, like the third best team in the, in the Pac-12 maybe to getting a big time ACC job like that. They weren't the third best team in the Pac-12. I mean, what are they like? They're the 25th best team in the nation. Oregon? Yeah. SC, oh, I mean, Washington. I, I, I hope I'm wrong. I hope it's worse. I'm just saying I know they're ranked number 25 right now. I don't know. I, I mean, SC is above Washington, Washington State, uh, Stanford. You can make an argument for Stanford. Yeah, yeah that's Stanford's 100%. Uh, that's four teams that are better than that. So, yeah, there you go. And then, I don't, that didn't make much sense from a hiring standpoint to me. And moving over to the pro ranks of football and the NFL, we all saw what happened on Monday Night Football between the Steelers and the Bengals. Quite a mess, to put it lightly. Lots of uh, big hits, concussions. Any suspensions yet? Well, okay. So we're just going to get into this. Uh, I'll preface this by saying that Jesse is is Team Juju Schuster here, and I am, I guess, I mean, I don't even know what team I would be on. I'm Team Suspend Everyone, if you want to call it that. I mean, Jesse, we talked about this a lot before podcasts. Jesse does not think that that hit was malicious, and I'll let him explain that. Mm-hmm. Okay. I don't think that he should be suspended for the hit. Um, if, I mean, it, okay, if the climate was different, I'll say this. If the climate was different and Gronk got four games and George Aloka got a game or two, mm-hmm. then maybe, sure. Gronk got one game for what he did. To give Juju one game and then to overturn the suspension for Aloka so he doesn't get anything is absurd to me. Juju's out here throwing a block. Shoulder to the numbers. This is a big hit that, and I'm not saying it deserved to be, but is celebrated six years ago. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Juju doesn't get flagged for the hit. He gets flagged for the taunt. And that's where the suspension, I have an issue with the suspension, is this is a suspension for the taunt, not the hit. Nobody gets suspended for a taunt. It's the entire play. It's But that was part of the play. Obviously, the flag was for taunting, but the suspension is for that entire play. And I, I just to, to before I get into it, I think they should both be suspended. I don't think the Ayoka suspension should have been overturned. I just think that the plays are different in the sense that, you know, you watch Juju. Are they both play. defenseless? Oh uh, yeah, I'm just talking about. Let me can I explain? Yeah, yeah, yeah sorry. I get that. Um, on the play with Juju, he did not need to blow him up there. You know, he could have just hit him. And obviously, that's just not. I, we've all played sports. I get that that's hard to do. Just like take yourself out of the physicality, but that's the way the game is going, you know, and that's the rules they have in play for that. So if you, you know, that's been, should have been implemented all the last couple seasons by the head coach. Mike Tomlin even brought that up after the game that they have respect for the player safety rules, but then to like, you know, to not suspend him would be ridiculous. And, and you know, you bring up the Gronk point, Gronk I think should be suspended for like five games. I think he should be at least out as long as however this guy will be out with concussion because that was yeah. one of the worst plays I've ever seen in a football game. That was a joke. So that's just the whole precedence for the entire league. I think they should both be suspended. The difference with the Ioka play, I think, is that he is trying to make a play on the ball there, you know, and, and it's such a quick, you know, second-by-second second thing because if he had hit the ball with his helmet, it's not a penalty. Um, but that's not an excuse for leading with your head. I still don't think he should have done that. I just think it's... It, it's they're both plays that are hard to break out of the nature of, but at the same time, they have been you know, drilled the last year or two on this. And maybe that doesn't make up, and it's hard to overturn what you've been taught throughout an entire lifetime. But both the hits were illegal. And Juju is coming across the middle like that. 
um, ear holing someone, like a crackback block, those are some of the worst in football because there's really just nothing you can do about that. And, mm -hmm. and I know it's on Vontez Burkett and a lot of people want to use that excuse like, you know, you heard it in the Pittsburgh's own locker room saying that it, it was karma. And I'm not and bringing, I'm not yeah, even, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I just want to clear it that, say that's that what I was if say. anyone wants to use that as a reason for why it's okay, that's wrong. Right. And the, just going off that, I was going to mention that, you know, whether for better or for worse, it was perfect to his hits. So people feel a certain type of way, whatever that may be about it. Similar with Gronk, you know, he's a popular player. Like they want, they don't want to see their beloved Gronk, you know, do something bad. Well, that's just New England, and, and I think and, that's a bunch of you know, right. shit well, yeah, basically. but but that's what I'm saying. But New England, the Patriots are one of the most covered teams, one of the most popular teams in the country, and Gronk's one of the most popular players, most well-known players in the country. Again, Perfect has been widely known as this guy who's not a very good guy, and you know the karma thing. But it's just unfortunate that those. Uh, aspects of these situations have like come into the forefront of like oh it's maybe it's not yeah, such a big you know, deal but no this is on. terrible you know like this is a Monday night football game all eyes are on this game if, mm -hmm. and, and especially in today's climate with people talking about football and like what's the future of it and all these injuries and concussions to come on Monday night football prime time only game on and to have that showing was just not yeah. just so bad for the league yeah. and, we'll, and we'll put up a video on the page and yeah I'd love to hear some of people's thoughts on it you know I really eh, firmly believe the Schuster hit is, is just as dirty in the sense that it's an illegal hit and neither should be done. You know, it's 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 just such a clear thing to me, but I don't know. You brought up also how um, Vontez Burfick and his past has nothing to do with, with it, I don't think. I, and I think the taunt had something to do with it. I think once he made the hit, and I don't support the taunt. I just want to say that first of all. Yeah. I don't support the taunt. Juju's my guy. He's a, he's a really really good dude. Like actually, like I, I yeah, know him. and you know that's I mean, I know yeah. him. He's a very good dude, and that's not him. And that's why I was surprised by that. Vontas Perfect is probably the best tackler, one of the best players on that defense. Mm. So, and when you said this is what you were saying earlier, where it's like you can't take yourself out of the play. Yeah. Especially when it's someone who is possibly their best player. You don't want to go at him soft because he'll destroy you. Mm -hmm. That's true. And not even just Vontas. I'm just like any really good middle linebacker is going to run you over as a wide receiver trying to block you. Football player. And so you can't go at him soft. And I'm not saying that I, I, there's a way to block him. And yeah, Juju could have blocked him. Not that way. Yeah. But this is, it's an intense game. It's a close game. And he blew him up to make sure that he wasn't doing it. And the taunt was terrible. Yeah. That's I, not something that he should be doing. Yeah, I, I get that. We, I think we can agree. And I think that. if he doesn't taunt, he doesn't get the penalty, and he doesn't even get the suspension. That's just all it is. Yeah, the one you know, the one flaw in my argument, I think, is like it's obviously a play that they're trying to eradicate. But what do you do with that? You can't. You know, and, and I still think he should be suspended. I don't think that changes anything because that's just the president that you need to set for the league, whether it be Burkett or not. Another thing on that play, I don't think he even knew it was Burkett coming across. You know, it's hard. To, like hell, if, whenever I played pick up football, you know, I obviously don't have much experience, but. It's hard when you just turn your head to immediately know what's going on, especially in pads. All you see is a number, like with a mask on. There's, there's no idea. It's not like he saw Burke and I was like, "Oh, I gotta blow him up." That's a whole different thing. I just think that that hit itself is punishable, and it was correct to suspend him. But Ioka should be suspended as well. I also can guarantee, and I don't have any. I, I don't have any specific hits that I've seen this year that I can tell you right now. But I'm sure that hit has been made time and time again this year. Maybe not to that extent, but like this is a Monday Night Football game, all eyes are on it, so that's why it got blown up. Like you see, you see that hit on Red Zone once, and you're like, "Wow, it's a big hit," yeah, I, and I, that kind of goes on, and you don't maybe, think you get because there's I, no I, taunt, we'll, so nobody thinks about a suspension. I'll do the research about this, and it's not a huge game like where, with a classic rivalry where there's a lot of gruesome hits. You gotta know that too. That's part of being an NFL player. So. Um, We'll leave this up to the fans to decide. We'll, we'll put up the video. You can discuss it. We'll try and find one that has both. The real hot top in the league, though, is is will the Vikings ever lose again, guys? I just like, you know, do you know? Because I don't think they will. <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and say, I'm not looking at their schedule right now, but I'm going to go ahead and say they probably will lose another game eventually. <laughs> you know, I, it, I wouldn't. I think that... At this point, you beat both of our teams. We can't say much back I mean, to we've you. We've not even beat them. Like, we've just handled both of these teams, you know? It's true. Especially Congratulations. You guys. Congratulations. Especially you guys. We you took away Gurley. We you played some good defense. I mean, yeah, we no, totally should have been the best offense in the NFL scored seven points against us. Uh, you know, Jesse's team. And the Redskins put 38 or 30 plus. I don't know what it exactly was. I think it was like I think 30. It was 30 on the dot. Um, either way, the Vikings, you know. I'll okay, well, they could lose. The only loss they could I, I see from them the rest of the way is this week against Panthers. You gotta understand too that that week fifteen match against the Packers is supposed to could be, be Rogers. Rogers coming back. They continue to win, so that would be another one that may be tough. 
this week I would call it there was one of the Vikings of the trap game. You know, I, I was talking about you know just before the podcast. I bet, you know, it almost felt like the Panthers were to have a negative year. Like, if you told me they were, like, 6-5, and 5-6, five, five and 6 they'd be like, yeah. Sounds right. They're 8-4, and four and they're the sixth seed in the playoffs, you know? Uh, it's a really good team still, and that just speaks to how good the NFC is. Um, Vikings and that's tough. Like, the, the NFC is really good, and you got the AFC with a joke, two trash divisions. But, Seriously. you know, and that's what hurts for my team, Washington, as well. It's like, we have seven losses now, and so we're done. Yeah, it's, and that's hard because you know if you went out nine and seven, still a good record, but it's not probably good enough. It's to not. Win. You, you need finally, ten wins to make it in the playoffs. Yeah. Finally, come to terms with it. Well, I told you. I mean, I told you this two weeks ago. The, the Skins have to win out to yeah. make the playoffs. Jesse's never had a, a problem with coming to terms to it. It's more of predicting what's going to happen. Like that's every, fair. Every year when that's we fair. go through, you know, the schedule when it comes out, Jesse's like, ah, it just looks like a twelve and four year for the boys, and I'm always just like. I don't know what you're looking at. I mean, the last three years, we, the, the worst season we've had is 8-8. Eight eight. What can we say? He's cautiously optimistic. That's we love true. it. I think I'm not even cautiously Yeah, I was going to say, you're <laughs> just extremely optimistic every yeah. year. Yeah. Um, but uh, but yeah. the Rams, Rams the playoff picture is still open. Still open. 9-3 now. Beat the Saints. Bounce back from the Vikings loss. A good home win against the Saints, which is, I, I enjoyed. Uh, go, they went on the road to beat Arizona. And now, one of the toughest tests of the year, along with the Vikings, I'll give you the credit. You know, I know you want that credit. Um, but the Eagles, the Eagles, the Vikings. I don't, you know, the I don't, Eagles. I don't play on the team. The Eagles are coming into town for a pretty big game on Sunday at the Coliseum. I'm looking forward to that. Uh, Upsetting wasn't flexed the five o'clock game. Though. I know there's another good game at that time, but yeah, yeah. So I think it'll still be the one one p.m. game. Yeah, no, it is for sure the one p.m. Um, but yeah, that I mean that's going to be a game to show like can the can the Rams bounce back I mean, and not bounce back I mean prove themselves against another good team they failed the first test against the Vikings and this is another great test for them so I'm looking they forward to it fail. <laughs> okay well no I think the Rams are real I mean I, the Rams are going to win the NFC West I, I, it's going to be fun to see them play even if they lose this game but this is going to be a fun game to watch just because the Eagles aren't backing down like they know they're in the playoffs I, I don't even know they might have officially clinched the East at yeah, this point just the whole golf versus Wentz debate and yeah. that's the other thing but and they're trying to downplay that I think both of them are downplaying and saying both of them like you know the other one is great blah 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 this shouldn't be a debate between the one versus two quarterback whatever I mean it's gonna be yeah but they know it's, they know what yeah. this is um, and it's still so early in both their careers so it's like even if one of them plays terribly like that's not the end obviously so but it's gonna be a fun game to see both these teams playing really well right now with these quarterbacks yeah. that were drafted 1-2. Yeah, I mean, it's great. It's a great storyline for the NFL. It's something that's easy to market. It's something that, you know, the league likes. And especially kind of got, you know, the, the... I don't know if you want to call it golf Hollywood, but, you know, being a California guy playing in L.A., you kind of get that mantra more so. And then you got the North Dakota, Philadelphia, blue-collar type guys. I think that's another, you know, dynamic mm-hmm. you can add to it if you want. Um, I, I, it's going to be a fun game, man. I, I think the Eagles showed that they are definitely beatable last week. I uh, should that that. I want to say they. I've been saying that all season. The Eagles are very beatable. Yeah, and I think now that I've done, you know, looking at all the numbers about the teams that they beat, you can say the same thing about the Rams as well. Because like you know, they're only what their biggest win of the year is against the Panthers, right? And the Saints. Uh, Saints. The Saints. I guess in those yeah. last two weeks. Um, it'll be a fun one though, man. I'm excited about it. The whole week is fun. Um, another thing that's fun, and I don't mind if I'd like to to bring it up real quick. Um, I've fallen in love with the Alvin Kamara. And uh, Ingram. Mark Ingram interviews. The They're great. Interviews They're great together. The are phenomenal. Like I wish I could watch one of those every day for anything that they do. It is hilarious. If you haven't watched it, I highly suggest it. Go check it out. They just gas each other up the whole time. Yeah. They're great. <laughs> it's so funny, man. Chained out and everything. It's funny. It's, it's a great time. It's funny to see that uh, dynamic now that AP's gone to. Like, mm. they had all the three, and everything was kind of tense in there because Peterson wanted the ball, and now he's gone, and, like, Kamara and Ingram are balling and having fun, and it's showing. So, uh, interesting to see. And now, it's time for the fast food flavor. Fast food flavor. Swine, what you got for us today? All right, so today is a news fast food flavor. Just a lot of, lots been going on uh, around fast food you know first a while back since i last spoke to you at least mm-hmm. a while back arby's bought buffalo wild wings for 2.4 billion dollars which is insane people wonder arby's how did you get that much money uh well they have the meats of course they have that kind of money okay second of all um the rolled chicken tacos at taco bell they're back uh, they are delicious. I had them the first time around. I haven't had them this time around, but 
Uh, they are great. Um, my favorite part about them is they just refuse to call them taquitos, which is what they actually are. Um, so and can go, they, yeah, can I, the best ad in the game right now is the taquito ad when the guy gives the guy a chest. Oh, one. it's a classic. That's actually oh, uh, for for my commercial heads out there. They ran that same one the first time back yeah, too. It's still funny. Yeah, That's still great. Thing. Still great. You know, the chest bump is good. Um, and then possibly the most important we're going to say on the Taco Bell mm-hmm, tip, mm-hmm. it's being announced that. Well, actually, they are currently being tested in West Virginia right now. The California Burrito at Taco Bell. Well, and so he's giving me a, a shrug. My Why in West Virginia? Yeah, that's what I was about that. But, but they are it, being tested, I believe, in Charlotte uh, right now. Oh, Charleston, sorry. Yeah, I was um, going to say, that's just... My favorite thing about them right now is that they are actually only two bucks. So it's a, it's oh, a wow. good price for a good burrito. You're going to get your fries in there, your guac. Your good California burrito, is it going to taste as good as your hole-in-the-wall spot in San Diego? Probably not, but that's the charm of Taco Bell because you can taste how bad it is for you. That, that, and that's, that's what I'm excited yeah, to and, see. And shout-out Baseball Frank. You know, mm-hmm. I know he's very excited about that. Come back to our conversation with the uh, Fries Bell Grande. Exactly. The we came up with. This is the first step. This is the first in step. In that process. That is very exciting news about this California burrito. It's why I would just encourage you, maybe for the people, to do a little more investigation into why... This is happening in, in West, West Virginia. Virginia. They they usually do like really weird spots. Like when they started out doing the alcohol, like before even Vegas, Vegas they did it in like Texas or yeah. some like weird I, spot. Like they just like place them in weird spots, but like they know what they're doing. Like Taco Bell yeah, marketing like, game knows what they're yeah, doing. And, and so. sell California burritos in Charleston, uh, Virginia. Mm-hmm. You can probably sell it wherever. I think the biggest, the toughest sell for any place in the country is going to be San Diego, honestly. Just because that's where the California burrito started. Probably just this area in general. Yeah, and so I'm interested to see how it goes over here. But $1.99 a piece looks like it's going to come in a box as well because you got to do that if you're Taco Bell. But in West Virginia, they are coming in boxes. So uh, when they hit L.A., be sure to go out and get your whole box. But get get one or two of those California burritos. Let's have some fun. We're waiting. And like Baseball Frank said on Twitter, Swine has the most sources in the fast food game. Follow him on Twitter. Follow us on Twitter for more. And this has been a great edition, a very informative edition of the fast food flavor. And now we come to the last segment of the show here, our super hot, interesting takes and shout outs. And uh, today I'm going to start it off on more of a serious note. You know, we're an LA podcast and if you've been looking around the sky so far in LA, you can see the smoke, yep. you can see the haze. Um, there are four fires currently burning throughout the Southland. Houses are being lost. Animals are being killed. You know, the Getty Museum is in trouble right now. Uh, a great landmark in Los Angeles. So just our thoughts go out to everyone affected by that in Santa Clarita, in Ventura, wherever it may be. We've got friends everywhere, so we hope that they are safe. And a shout-out to the firefighters out there battling every day because that is an amazing mm-hmm. job that they're doing. And it is, you know, the fastest spreading fire in California history, and they're doing their best to handle it. So shout-out yeah. to them. But back to the sports. I know you guys both got shout-outs this week. Why don't we start with Nick here? Yeah, uh, first of all, very well said, Sully. I think we can all agree that shout out to everyone who's dealing with that, and hopefully everybody stays safe out there. But my shout out um, is a follow up to one of my previous shout outs about my beef with the Lakers and NBA jerseys in general. Um, I am proud to announce. I am proud to announce that it took only 22 games, but it happened. The Lakers finally wore purple away from Staples Center. They wore purple at. Uh, for a road game against the Clippers, but that doesn't count. That was still Staples Center. But uh, this past Saturday against the Nuggets, a very tough loss. At least they were in those purples on the road, as they should be. Shout out Lakers for finally coming to the senses. I appreciate it. Also, I have a quick question on that note. I don't remember what game it was, but they wore the whites on a weekday road game. How do you feel about that? You know damn well how I feel about that. Oh, I love it. I I didn't like that. was like one thing. I don't get up in arms about the Lakers unions that much, but... I will get up in arms when they don't like Sunday whites. That's you can't. It's Sunday white. I, all right. But then I, other than like, if, and if you're gonna wear white on not a Sunday, it better be a home game. I just want to like let me give my two cents on this real quick. Uh, when I was playing in college uh, against one school, our coach would purposely have us wear whites on the road on Friday night as a big fuck you to the other team. Yeah. <laughs> and I uh, I enjoy that mindset. That's my mindset on the on the yellows. And that's fine. On the away games. I, I that's mean, my mindset with that. Yeah, the white is whatever. I don't think that's as well done. Yellow, I agree at that point. Um, they're not quite good enough to do that yet. But I like the idea of it. I like the idea of it. Um, but Jess, I'm going to give a shout out as well. 
Yeah, you know, uh, you know, I'm Power 106 till I die. I just want to give a quick shout. Power 106 and Deer Deck companies wow. till I die. Okay. So we're combining here in the fact that Crystal B from the Crew Show on Power 106 is a regular on Power on MTV's new show Amazingness, which is the opposite of ridiculousness. They're gonna show it's Rob Deer Deck. Oh. They're gonna show just like clips of people doing like ridiculously crazy cool things. Um, and it's Crystal and Eddie Wong, and I think drama's on that. So that premieres Friday, uh, December 8th. Go check out my girl Crystal, um, and along with the whole team, shout out Deer Deck, doing everything under the sun um, with a kid and I think another one on the way. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, my guy is doing everything I right now. I followed Rob as closely as we did in our younger years, I feel like. You yeah. Know? I, I mean, and, and I still obviously been all our respect in our world to Rob doing his thing. But he, he's being more of a dad these days. So it's yeah, which are, so it's cool yeah. to see him do that and then come out with a whole new show Good too. To like, that like dude the, doesn't stop working. The idea of it, yeah, we know he's a grinder. And um, Crystal B is about to dominate. She's about to take over the world. Like yeah. she, and all love to Chanel, but I think she's going to be better than Chanel was on Ridiculous. Chanel's absolutely trash. I don't want to just throw that out there. I, you can have respect for it. I think she was a joke and continues to be a joke through rap music. And that's a hot take on the... Oh, sure, oh I'm not even talking about her, her music. I, 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 every time I met Chanel, like the two times, like she was cool. So that's, yeah, that's all mean, my interactions with her. I danced to her next to, uh, next yeah. to her at, at a party. Halo Reach launch party. Shout that's out. Funny. And we'll have to tell that whole story sometime. Yeah, we should. experience with the Deer Deck family, or the Deer Deck Enterprise. Um, but that's going to wrap up episode 42 for the day. The Jackie Robinson episode. Jackie! Uh, it's been a fun one. A lot of hot debate here, and we love that. So don't forget to follow us on Twitter, follow us on Instagram, like us on Facebook. We will hopefully be having some more exciting stuff coming to you guys in the near future, so stay tuned. Um, it's been a pleasure, episode 42. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, and if anyone listening in this point of the episode has any friends that happen to be celebrities, love to have them on. Yeah, that's absolutely. We could do that. Yeah. Yeah, fuck with me and get some money and get some yeah. money. Fuck with me and get some money and get some money. Yeah, fuck with me and get some money. Ay, yeah, fuck with G and get some money. No limit, I'm a fucking soldier.